If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa Cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa Cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 150 of Confessions of a Marketer, the Anxiety Index. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Mark Truss, the chief research officer of Wonderman Thompson, is here to discuss the new anxiety index Wonderman Thompson just released. We'll get to that in a moment. I hope you're staying well. We're trying to make every episode as relevant as we can for the trying days we're facing. We have adjusted the schedule for the next couple of episodes to bring more frequent and hopefully useful information your way to help you deal with today's world. Next time, let's all take a deep breath and become mindful marketers with Lisa Norell. Lisa joins me for a fascinating and meaningful discussion. Soon we'll get back to some discussions we recorded before COVID took over our lives, and we'll have Blair Enns in to go over his win without pitching ideas. Plus, we have chats with Henrik Becker, Xenia Montan, Dave Woodward, Larry Ludwig, Travis Chambers, and Naira Perez. Lots more in store as well as we head through the year. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. Okay, on to Mark Truss. Mark is Chief Research Officer at Wonderman Thompson with a long background in advertising and marketing. Mark has been running an anxiety index for about 17 years. The latest one was run in March, and with anxiety running at all-time highs, it's a very timely study. Mark and I have a wide-ranging discussion about the index, what it all means, and what marketers should do in reaction to his data. Plus, we gaze into the future and think about the emotional state of people around the world once the crisis abates. Mark was described to me by my frequent guest, Jacques Van Niekerk, as a real gem. I have to agree with him. Let's get to it. Mark, welcome to Confessions of a Marketer. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Can you share your background and what you do in your role as Chief Research Officer at Wonderman Thompson? Sure. So, you know, whenever you want to communicate with consumers, you need to know a few critical things, right? You need to know who you're talking to. You need to know what messages are going to resonate with them and move them. And you need to know where to put those messages. So 
Nowadays, we have a lot of data signals that tell us parts of that, but a lot of that data is very descriptive data. It tells us who they are, where they are, but it doesn't often tell us why they're doing what they're doing. So by conducting primary research, surveys, focus groups, talking to people, observing people, we get a much deeper understanding of who they are as people, as humans, so we can understand what really motivates them. So we, we run a group that conducts that research on behalf of Wonderman Thompson data so that we can marry that data with other data sources and get a really complete picture of people and what they do and why they do it. Yeah, that's fascinating. Data is paramount these days. We love it. So we are at a very anxious time in our history. <laughs> we are. And Wonderman Thompson just released the Anxiety Index, I think with a partial focus on COVID-19. Can you tell me about the key points in the report? Yeah. So we've been tracking this for a while, actually for 17 years. The first time we did this was in the run-up to the invasion of Iraq. Yeah. And we've been tracking it over time to see differences in why people are anxious and what's making them anxious. And you know, one of the things we've noticed over time is people in America tend to have one anxiety at a time. And it always felt a little bit like whack-a-mole, mm-hmm. right? So as, as they sort of pounded down one anxiety, boop, another would pop up. But as they pounded that down, something else would pop up, but never two at once, Yeah, right? And we've observed that over the years. What's really unique right now is we have three anxiety areas all spiking at the same time. And, you know, you might be able to guess what those are, right? But health, obviously, economic concerns, and government concerns. And we've never seen three at once popping up, which says we're sort of really in very unique uncharted territory, which we hear over and over again, right? But some of the other things we've noticed that's really interesting, when you look at who specifically is nervous in the country, I was kind of surprised in the data to see that the youngest people, the youngest Americans, 18 to 24-year-olds, are the most nervous, and not by a little bit, by like a factor of four or five And it just seemed at odds with what I was seeing in the newspapers about younger people not adhering to social distancing, spring break down in Florida. But what's interesting is it's not really the virus that's making them nervous. What's making them nervous is the impact on the economy and what it means to them for jobs and and how they're going to make a living and pay off student loans and all those kinds of things. Practical concerns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So those are kind of two of the biggest things. Of course, there's a lot in there, but those were two of the biggest things that we saw in the data. So you said you started tracking it 17 years ago in the run-up to the Iraq war, and you've done it frequently since. Why is it important to track anxiety? Well, what we've noticed is there's an inverse relationship between people's levels of anxiety and the consumer confidence index. So as anxiety goes up, consumer confidence drops, and it's almost predictable. And when consumer confidence drops, we know 
that consumer buying patterns change. What Mm -hmm. people buy, how often they buy it, which brands they choose to buy, all that stuff starts to change from what we as marketers normally know will be somewhat predictable consumer behavior. So we started measuring it to get an understanding of, ooh, here's a a moment in time where we Mm -hmm. need to think differently about how we talk to and market to people. And I look back on the level of anxiety over the last decade or so, maybe a bit further back than that, maybe actually to the first survey, and it seems to stay in a range somewhere around 70%, peaking at 86% around the Great Recession, and now at 76%. Can you tear apart those numbers and tell me what drives them? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When we first started measuring this, I was shocked at how high the numbers were. I'm like, gee, what are we all so nervous about? Good times and bad. Two-thirds or more of us are nervous about something. But what we started to see is it's the people who say they're very nervous that really changes with events. And the one event that seems to drive it most often is presidential elections. Yeah. Right. And we see those really cause a spike up. And it's I guess it's not surprising if you look at modern politics, maybe always this is the way politics have been, but you know, politicians tend to use fear as a cudgel to get people to vote for them, listen to them, come to their side of the of the debate. So, you know, the more you have politicians out there talking about what they sh- people should be afraid of, people respond. And they, <laughs> they respond by saying, yeah, now I'm suddenly nervous about things, right? Yeah, yeah. It's what we in the technology business call FUD, right? Yes, Fear, exactly. uncertainty, and doubt. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> so, okay, say I'm a marketer, I read the report. What should I do? How should I react to this data? And 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 take it and, and change my approach to marketing, advertising, social media, whatever it is. Yeah. When I talk to our clients today, there are, there are sort of three things they're struggling with. How much should I be spending on marketing right now? What should I be saying in that marketing? And what should I be doing as a brand? We've seen across the industry that you know, spending is down a little bit, not dramatically, maybe six, seven percent right now. So yeah. a lot of brands are continuing to advertise. We know as an industry, and we saw this in the 2008-2009 recession, there's empirical evidence that brands that stayed active and continued to support their brands during crises and difficult times grew significantly faster in the years after the crisis. So I know marketing is an easy place to cut for brands, but the data would say the other way, that brands that stay relevant and stay as part of the consumer's lives reap benefits of that on the other side of this. In terms of what to talk about, you know, and this is today I'm saying this, uh, you know, this is such a dynamic situation that it feels like it's changing hourly. But what we were hearing in the research is what consumers are looking for from brands. You know, brands play this peculiar role in society. In some way, ads from brands are seen as disruptive and things we don't like. But what we've noticed in anxiety index is they they actually serve another purpose to people. 
which is that in some ways they signal a sense of normalcy Mm -hmm. that, you know, when we see the same brands that we know and love and even brands we don't love, but we know them well, it, it kind of says to people, we're going to be okay. Things will be okay. We'll we'll still have M&Ms and Coca-Cola and Tide detergent. And, you know, so being there for people is one thing, but it, it's it's a little bit of a pivot where right now, and you can see a lot of brands are doing this right now, they're talking less about themselves. And the of course, focus yeah, is, yeah. it's really on the people and what the people are feeling. And that to me is exactly the right tone that brands should be taking because talking too much about yourself feels kind of tone deaf. You're ignoring the situation and you're not in touch with what your audience is feeling today. I think, again, people look at brands as being, you know, these sort of iconic institutions in our culture. And as such, especially since trust in institutions has been eroding for the last decade plus, you know, brands being there with a with a reassuring tone, we're going to get through this and we'll be there for you on the other side. I think goes a long way to helping people feel better and kind of resume their normal behaviors as much as they can, given our situation. The third thing that we're talking with brands about is what can they do, right? So you can say things in marketing, but what we found in the data is people were saying, you know, what's really important is that we don't think the government can do this on their own. And, and there's some political aspects to that, but I think just in general, people feel this is such a large issue that the government just can't do it on their own. They need more resource. And they think brands are one of those institutions that should be playing a role in that. So there's an expectation that brands are going to do something. And they signal, people signal to us that brands that do take an action, and that's, you know, obviously there's a million ways they can take an action, but brands that do take an action will receive great admiration from people. So I think there's a lot for brands to be doing right now. Yeah. It takes a long-term view, doesn't it? It does. And so many brands, so many companies, especially public companies, have the burden of worrying about Wall Street, but right now everybody's in the same boat. Exactly. Having a long-term view right now just makes sense, not just from a marketing standpoint, but from a business standpoint. Yeah. And, you know, if you see ads, some brands are actually coming out and saying, don't use our product right now. So Uber just ran a campaign saying, thank you for not using us right now, which I thought was brilliant and and right exactly where they should be and what they're talking about. So someday in the near future, whether it's months or a year from now, the crisis will be over. Yep. And maybe anxiety will go down to 70%. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Something (laughs) else will replace it, right? Probably. But what should we take to heart about the general emotional state of people throughout the world uh, from this data? Because there's always something to worry about. You know what's really interesting is – the relationship between anxiety and knowledge of things that are going on. So in this survey, we did 
a little question that I thought was interesting. You know, sometimes I've seen surveys ask people, how knowledge are you, uh, knowledgeable are you about uh, what's going on? But since people don't really have a good sense of their own level of knowledge, and we tend to think we're more knowledgeable than we are, I decided to test people. So we gave people a number of true statements about coronavirus and a number of false statements that I actually took from sort of notoriously debunked internet memes about mm-hmm. coronavirus and said to the people, hey, here's some, some statements about coronavirus that are true and some are false. Tell me what you think are true and false. And on average, when we grade up Americans, they get about a C plus average in what mm-hmm. they know about it. But what was more concerning is they did better on the true statements. They got about a B than they did on the false statements. They got about a C. And again, these were like notoriously made up kind of conspiracy theory-like statements. And what it says is, you know, there's there's so much information out there that people can get, and they're getting a lot of bad information. And I think what we have to think about as a society coming out of this is how do we fix that relationship between knowledge and truth and things that are real versus not real and the degree to which that's going to drive people's anxieties and and which then sort of disrupts everything around us. A lot of anxiety springs from the unknown. Yep. And so that's where conspiracy theories like 5G caused COVID. Correct. Kind of says to people, well, okay, there's a reason. Okay, good. I know why this is happening. And so people embrace that rather than being logical about it. Right. And as you say, when we don't have answers, we feel very uneasy. But as soon as we have any answer, no matter how logical or not it feels, we feel less uneasy. And, And, you know, our bodies and minds are programmed to feel more at ease than unsettled. So it's almost like it's pre-programmed into us to want to do that, to want to find explanations. There's actually a word for it. They call it apophenia, which is the concept of seeing patterns in random data where there are no patterns because it makes us feel better. Yeah. And feeling better is what we're after. When you're anxious, you, you know, yeah. you'll do anything to feel better. That's exactly so, right. So if, you, if you can explain something that's just a random event by believing in some conspiracy theory or some weird explanation, you'll go, okay, well, Correct. I feel better. That's exactly. My anxiety is now down to 69%. <laughs> well done. Well done. Perfect. Well, I I tell you, this is fascinating. And I, you know, it's such a consuming time right now that, you know, our psyches are so consumed by COVID-19. I find solace in looking at numbers. So it was, it was really great to read this report and see the numbers and really find that the times aren't really that unique, even though this event that we're all going through is unique, that anxiety is always there. Absolutely right. Well, thanks, Mark, for joining me. I really enjoyed having you here and really appreciate you being on the podcast and want to have you back maybe after we're through the crisis and we can talk about happy times. I'd love to. Enjoyed the chat. Thank you. All right. Next time, Lisa Norell on being a mindful marketer. 
Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. Stay healthy and see you next time. You stay home for the greater good. Secondhand smoke doesn't. It drifts through cracks in walls, air vents, and sink drains, spreading toxic chemicals that can damage lungs. Secondhand vape also puts your lungs at risk, even with the fruity smells. Protect yourself and the people around you from these secondhand dangers. Learn how at tobaccofreeca.com.